Shalom. I'm Mitch Glazer, president of Chosen People Ministries. I'm here with Robert Walter, our Brooklyn branch leader and New York regional director, and we are addressing a topic of vital interest to me and to Bobby and to all of our staff who are part of Chosen People Ministries, because Isaiah chapter 53 is one of the most important passages in the Bible to use to try and persuade a Jewish person that Jesus is the Messiah, according to the Old Testament scriptures. I would assume you agree with that one, Bobby. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely, Mitch. And uh, shalom and welcome, everyone. Uh, and as Mitch mentioned today on The Chosen People, we're going to continue our discussion on this vitally important chapter, Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, last week, uh, we gave a, a really good overview, uh, we think, of uh, the introduction. Uh, so, we backed up to Isaiah 52, 7, and we got all the way through Isaiah 53, verse 3. And if you'd like to go check that out, just go to chosenpeople.com slash radio, and you can listen to that episode as well. Uh, but today, we are going to jump in with Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 4. All righty, so follow along. So, Mitch, as we pick up in Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6, I'm going to read real quick. This is what Isaiah writes, talking about this one unique, humble servant. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And these three verses really sit at like the center of the entire prophecy here, and it clearly shows the ministry, the suffering ministry of this special, unique individual who's going to bring in the kingdom, who's going to bring the peace, the joy, the happiness, the salvation. And he's doing it on a much grander scale than people expected because he's not necessarily dealing with, uh, you know, fighting an earthly battle. He's fighting a spiritual battle, and the way that he gains victory is by laying down his life, by suffering, by dying because of our sins. Even though he is perfect and blameless and, and upright and righteous, and we are not, he goes and takes our place so that we could be set free. And I love the, the Hebrew word that's used in verse 5. It says, the chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And the Hebrew there for our well-being, it's shlomenu. Shlomenu comes from the word shalom, which means peace or wholeness. It's really the picture of everything in its right place, everything exactly the way God intended it to be. And that idea of shalom and having shalom, us having shalom that we haven't had since before the fall of Adam and Eve, God attains it through the suffering of this servant. Right, and it's necessary, as we read in verse 6, because all of us like sheep have gone astray. Right. There are really two, two sheep uh, pictured in Isaiah 53. Hmm. He's the innocent sheep that was led to a slaughter, and we are the not-so-innocent sheep that caused him to be led to his slaughter because of our sin. 
So all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. We can talk a lot about sheep being dumb animals and everything else, but I'm from Brooklyn. I don't really know many sheep, <laughs> and so I'm not going to... I'm not going to do any farming illustrations. You know more than I do. Which isn't much. Which is <laughs> yeah. better than a lawnmower here. So the sheep have gone astray. Uh, they're, they, they don't behave well. And we each has turned to his own way. I think that's the core of sin, isn't it? The core of sin is doing your own thing as opposed to God's. And so the prophet continues, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. That's the Hebrew word avon, which means crooked. So the crookedness of us all, if the law is a straight line, we are crooked. Our behavior is crooked. Our souls are crooked. We don't measure up. We're bent. We're misshapen. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. All of our sin and, and mistakes and misshapenness, they fall on him. So we deserve punishment for sin. He receives it. Mm-hmm. He deserves blessing for his righteous life, and instead we receive it. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth like a lamb led to his slaughter, like a sheep silent before its shearers, so he didn't open up his mouth. And so again, we we learn that there are two sheep. He's the good one, and we're the not so good one. And I think that's an amazing parallel. Uh, Peter, the apostle, brings this up later on in his epistle, where he speaks about believers suffering without complaining. Right. And I think that that, would, that is quite something. And finally, verse 8, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away and asked for his generation, who considered that he was cut out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. Clearly, this is not the nation of Israel. This is a person. Right. If not, the nation of Israel will be cut off Uh, for the sins of the nation. So it doesn't even make any sense. And I've gone through this with a number of rabbis. Clearly, this is an individual who didn't deserve to die, but in fact died an atoning death, bearing the sins of those he loved. Right. What I love about this section as well, as we continue reading, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. So he, uh, indeed, he was blameless, he was perfect, he was spotless, he was the unblemished Lamb of God. And this whole section, verses 7 through 9, it just gives such a clear picture uh, and such a detailed picture of what we actually find in the Gospels during those final days, those final moments of Jesus as he was on the earth. When we come to verses 10 through 12, uh, we really get into some, some deep waters here. It says, but the Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. So it pleased God, it satisfied God in some way to have this servant suffer in the way that he did. So how is that possible? I mean, you know, honestly, on a, on a grand scale, God's wrath against sinful mankind was satisfied because of what this servant did. The Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, He will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Now, this is a very important verse for us when we share with Jewish people, because the Hebrew word that's used there for guilt offering, it's asham, asham. And the only place, uh, the only other place where you see that word used is within the confines of the tabernacle or the temple. It's a sacrificial word that's only used for animals, This is the only place in all of scripture where that word is used to describe a human being. 
So again, Mitch, like you said, this servant, this lamb of God, this king lays down his life and he dies as a guilt offering. What we also see in this passage is that beyond his death, he actually sees his offspring, he prolongs his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord prospers in his hand. Now, how is that possible if he's dead? It's only possible through the resurrection. So we have a a clear picture and a promise of the resurrection of this servant here, written 750 years before Jesus walked the earth. You know, what I love, Bobby, is the commentary on Isaiah 53. The commentary on Isaiah 53 is really in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Remember, Paul was a a Messianic Jew. He was a well-taught rabbi, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And Paul writes, he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What a, a beautiful and eloquent commentary on Isaiah 53, where we learn that God sent his only begotten son to die for our sins, and whoever believes in him will not perish but receive the gift of everlasting life. Sometimes when I speak to some uh, believers and unbelievers uh, about this passage, uh, I look at uh, verses 11 and 12, which again reiterates the message and reiterates the resurrection. Mm -hmm. And I always like to ask the question, so is Jesus dead or alive? (laughs) And then we give a New York answer. Yes. He truly died. In fact, almost every word for death in the Hebrew vocabulary is used in Isaiah 53. Right. So he did die physically. Of course, he was also cut off for one everlasting moment from the presence of his father, whom he loved and was loved by his father for all eternity, so that you and I will never have to be separated from God. I think that's the core of the gospel. He died so that we can live. In addition to partnering with local churches in the New York area, Chosen People Ministries is ready and available to speak at your church or missions conference. And we offer a variety of presentations on topics such as Jewish evangelism, the Jewish roots of Christianity, Messiah in the Old Testament, and so much more. So if you, your church, or your Bible study group is looking for another way to go deeper in your study of the culture, heritage, and history of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah, then please request more information today at chosenpeople.com radio. And if you're not looking for a specific study topic, but you just want to let us know you're listening to this program, we'd love to hear from you. Just call 888-293-7482. Or once again, visit us online at chosenpeople.com radio. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. Well, it's true that Isaiah 53 is such a powerful chapter that has made an impact on so many lives, and it will continue to make an impact according to God's will. Because in just a few chapters over, in Isaiah 55, Scripture tells us that God's Word will not return to Him empty or without accomplishing and succeeding in all that He desires. Can I jump in with an amen on that one, Bobby? Yeah. Yeah, amen. God's Word is so powerful. And we hear from a lot of Jewish people who have found the Messiah. And right now, we'd like to share one of those stories with you. I love Israel Cohen's testimony. It makes me laugh, makes me cry, gets me excited. 
and what a testimony to the power of God's Word in Israel's life. I mean, I heard about some of these these guys, like John the Baptist. He's a Baptist. I found out later on he's Jewish. St. Paul, Jewish? Yeah, Jewish. St. Peter, how can anybody by the name of St. Peter be Jewish? Guess what? I found out they're all Jewish. Now, I grew up in Philadelphia in a Jewish neighborhood. On the other side of the street, that was mostly Gentiles. These poor Gentiles, they worship a statue. Some of those people had statues in their lawns. At the age of eight years old, I joined the Cub Scouts, which is part of the Boy Scouts. They had a, they have, they still probably have this today, a, a magazine that's called Boy's Life Magazine. And in that magazine, they had the instructions on how to build a uh, crystal radio. I was so excited. It was, it was like I was in heaven with this radio that worked. I would rush home from school and put on the earphones. And I was hearing these people talking about Jesus on the short wave. They were like, the same time I was preparing for my bar mitzvah and my rabbi told me, never believe in Jesus and never read the New Testament. That's a Gentile book and Jesus is for the Gentiles. I joined the Navy in 1960 and wound up in a, in a drill hall with 400 guys. Now this is the first time in my life I was ever away from my mother and father. They taught me how to smoke a cigarette. Uh, you know, oh, I was coughing like crazy. They said, real sailors drink whiskey. And that was burning my throat. I did it because I wanted to be a real sailor. I wound up getting drunk every night. Wound up going out with, with women that I shouldn't be doing. Sometimes deep down inside of me, I was saying, man, this doesn't feel right. Something's wrong here. This doesn't seem right. You see, when you join the Navy, I don't know if they do this today anymore, but this was back in 1960. We were naked and had our hair shaved, and then we went through the line to get our uniforms and stuff. At the end of the line, they said Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish. So they gave you a Bible. I had my Tanakh. I had my little, my Jewish scriptures. I don't know what you do with the Bible. I thought, you know, it might be like a rabbit's foot, good luck charm, or maybe it'd be like my grandmother's chicken soup. Anytime I was sick, my grandmother said, have some matzo ball soup, have some chicken soup. It'll, I said, will it help? She said, it couldn't hide, you know? I said, well, I have a Bible. Will it help? Well, couldn't hide, you know? Uh, one of the sailors uh, that I was with in the Navy said to me, you're Jewish, right? I said, yeah. Do you have a Bible? I said, sure, I have a Bible. They gave it to me when I joined the Navy. He said, let me see your Bible. And he turned in my Bible to Isaiah chapter 53. He said, here, read this. I read the whole chapter of Isaiah 53. I said, wait a minute. This sounds like those folks across the street. This sounds like the Gentiles. This sounds like what I was hearing on the short wave. They made a mistake. They gave me New Testament. And my rabbi told me, never read the New Testament. You better take this because this is for you. This is not my Bible. So no, no, look, Hebrew Publishing Company. <gasps> Hebrew Publishing Company. What's, this is crazy. What's Jesus doing in my Bible? He said, well, he's your Messiah. He's my Messiah. I, I, I was shocked, and he said, would you like to read about that in the New Testament? I said, uh, well, I can't read the New Testament because my rabbi told me never read uh, the New Testament. And he looked around over here, and he looked over here, and he says, I'll make a deal with you. If you don't tell your rabbi that you read the New Testament, I won't tell him either. I thought about that for a minute. Okay, but I was scared. I thought lightning was going to strike me. I actually thought I was going to be struck by lightning. I expected it to be a Gentile book. I expected it to take place in Rome with a bunch of popes talking about Catholic things and statues. What surprised me is how Jewish the New Testament really is. It's the most Jewish book I ever read.
the more I, I, I read the scriptures, the more I, I was, was praying, I realized that inside I was not, not clean. Inside, I had all kinds of anger. I was getting drunk every night. I was going with the women. I was smoking three packs of unfiltered palm all day, coughing like crazy. I was making pretend like I enjoyed it. I didn't want to make pretend anymore. I didn't want to live that way anymore. Now it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm in the barracks, big barracks. And I had a blanket all the way over, and, and the light was shining on the New Testament. And I, I prayed, you know, Baruch Atah, Anonai, Elohim, Melech, Olam. Lord, uh, uh, Jesus, I, I'm here. Uh, um, I want to believe in you. And I went to bed. May 16, 1961, came to faith in, in the Messiah. That's just so important in my life. It's, it's a... A, a, a moment that totally, completely changed the revolution of my life. Even if I was the very last person on earth, Jesus would still have died for me. And I am confident that when I die, I'll go to be with him. Isaiah 53 is a pivotal passage of scripture. It's one chapter that has the power to kickstart your personal faith pilgrimage. Discover the underlying story of this prophetic passage as Mitch Glazer explains it in a practical and soul-satisfying way. His book is called Isaiah 53 Explained, and it's our prayer that the Lord will enlighten your path and give you insights into understanding Isaiah 53 in a fresh, new way. So request your free copy of Isaiah 53 Explained when you visit us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com slash radio. Or ask for the book when you call us at 888-293-7482. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And Mitch, today I've really enjoyed digging deeper into Isaiah chapter 53 together. And I think it's also important for us to talk about the impact that this single chapter has had on the lives of Jewish people all over the world. And I know that you have some stories to share. Bobby, I love reading through and studying Isaiah chapter 53, and I hope that all of you who are listening feel the same way. It's just such an incredible portrait. I mean, for me, it was actually uh, impossible to ignore. And I remember when I first stumbled on Isaiah 53, uh, I mean, I know it's in the Hebrew Bible, and it's not cut out as some people think it is. It's just not read in the um, lectionary uh, of the 52 weeks of reading Torah, first five books of Moses, portions, and then uh, reading parts of the rest of the Bible. Now, it is interesting that the rabbis do skip from Isaiah 52, really, to Isaiah 54 in the lectionary, the Haftorah, not half a Torah, Haftorah readings. We, we won't make too much of a point of that. We'll give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, but it, it is certainly in the Hebrew Bible, and everybody knows that. I stumbled on it, but I stumbled on it when I was reading the New Testament for the first time. And I followed the path and read Isaiah 53, which had been there all that time, but I just never read it, never considered it. And I was thunderstruck. I, I just could not believe that this clear prophecy of Jesus was in my Bible. I was almost almost offended, you know, that I had never seen it before. Nobody ever told me about it. And so I went home from this campground situation where I was working, and I went and uh, found a couple of young 
hippie rabbis. I was definitely a hippie at that time. And so I met some young hippie rabbis. I was obviously a seeker. I said, can you explain how this doesn't mean Jesus? I mean, I, mm. I read it, and, and what I was really asking was, please tell me that it doesn't mean Jesus, because if it does, I have to tell my mother, and I'm going to—I mean, that's going to be terrible, you know? And so— they started yelling at me because I was looking into this. They said, Jews shouldn't be talking like this. Wow. And, and that was the first time that I had encountered that kind of thing where somebody actually forthrightly told me that seeking Jesus in the Hebrew Bible is something Jews shouldn't do. Hmm. And so I kept seeking, I kept reading, and eventually I came to know the Lord. I also remember meeting a couple of soldiers at our Ramat Gan, suburb of Tel Aviv center uh, in, the, in the greater Tel Aviv area. So I approached these two female soldiers, one of whom turned out to be a believer. And both of them, uh, I, I could tell because I had just preached that they were paying attention to what I was saying. The one believer thanked me, said, God bless you. The other one, the other young lady, and these girls were probably 18 or 19 new soldiers. She went and grabbed a copy of a Hebrew version of Isaiah 53 explained and said, could you sign my book? And I said, of course. But I quickly figured out she was not yet a believer. And I asked her, you know, why, why do you want me to sign it? And she looks at me and says, well, my friend, pointing to the other soldier, mm -hmm. has been talking to me about the Messiah for months. And it's finally beginning to make sense to me. That's why I want to read this book. And then she added, which I thought was really cool, she looked at her friend and at some of the other people uh, around who were now gathering, and she said, you know, these are the best people I've ever met. Wow. <laughs> and, and what, you know, what power? Because it's the message of the gospel in Isaiah 53, fulfilled in the New Testament, authenticated by the changed lives of those who believe the message. Well, Mitch, that's really incredible. And, you, and you're right. I mean, like we read in Hebrews chapter 4, the, the Word of God, it's, it's alive, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it changes lives. And that, that's really what Isaiah 53 is about, the, the power of the gospel, the power of God's Word to, to uh, pierce the hearts of those who don't yet believe. And for our listeners out there, we just want to encourage you to take those steps of faith, to reach out to the Jewish people in your lives. And familiarize yourself with Isaiah 53 so that you can be empowered and equipped uh, to know how to answer some of the questions or the objections that, uh, that people might have. We really have developed quite a few resources, including Isaiah53.com, which is a website dedicated to this passage. You can order a free book, uh, Isaiah 53 Explained, and you can give that to a Jewish friend, or you can even just give the website. We also include lots of testimonies on that website by Messianic Jews. I think that it will be a very, very useful tool for you as you share the good news of Jesus the Messiah with your Jewish friends and loved ones. You're listening to The Chosen People. And as Mitch mentioned today, we have a wealth of resources available for you. But if you'd like to take your evangelism one step further this fall, just go online to our website and grab your very own Isaiah 53 t-shirt or hoodie. You'll find these shirts and so much more at chosenpeople.com radio. And now let's close with the ironic benediction from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. 
Yidrech Adonai v'yishmarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha v'ikunecha Yisa Adonai panavalecha V'yasem l'cha shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. B'shem shall Yeshua HaMashiach, Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace. Chosen People is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries.